happen. Your nutrients are the building blocks for the cells to function. The nutrients are also what turns your gene on and your genes off. So any change in nutrition that impacts what is the optimum nutrition your brain is supposed to get, that leads to inflammation. Low blood volume, we talked about that with anemia. Now, with injury, you would have been bleeding, and we cannot replace your blood on time. But anemia can be that low-grade, low blood volume. A little bit low iron there, a little bit of blood changes with your menstrual cycle. Well, if you're not eating optimally to replace what is that low blood volume, you are actually exposing your brain to what is cellular damage or a decrease in cellular perfusion or decrease in cellular volume, so which means your brain gets irritable and that is a direct inflammation to your brain. Dehydration. Dehydration, your blood is made of, uh, your brain is made out of like 73% to 78% of fluid, out of that brain tissue mass that's all fluid. So any dehydration actually causes the cell to start to die. It also causes friction within the brain cavity which means it doesn't have the fluidity or the lubrication your brain needs to have so it can expand and contract as it wants to. So dehydration can be very dangerous for the brain and we see that pretty quickly with changing auto changes in your mental status, going from being alert to confused, going from being very focused to distracted and just disoriented. When we see that, usually it's a late sign of dehydration. Hypertension, diabetes, these are metabolic changes. If you are having high blood pressure, you are increasing what is the brain pressure um, within your brain. Your brain does not like to have high pressure. High pressure within the brain usually would lead to stroke. Hello, this is Umu with Limbic Community and your instructor for today. Welcome to Mindful Brain. Welcome to Limbic. We are a mindful holistic coaching company. I am Umu Benjamin, a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner with 15 years of medical nursing experience. I have experience in critical care medicine, emergency care medicine, cardiovascular open heart medicine, as well as inpatient psychiatry training. I'm currently trained in nutritional and integrative psychiatry intervention and have a personal background in supplementation and herbal medicine. I am a mother. I am a recent divorcee after 21 years of partnership and 19 years of marriage. A long story. Feel free to access your About Me instruction um, instructor um, section of your class, and that should give you the full story. Please follow us at Limbic.live website. Follow us at Limbic at Facebook community, Instagram, YouTube, and TikToks. Anxiety develops in our mind. To be exact, the expression and worsening of stress in our brain are due to inflammation and injury. We as humans are supposed to feel some level of anxiety and stress for a limited time. This is a normal brain expression under acute stress. However, when anxiety expression becomes chronic and, un and unabated, abated, with current stressor, the brain changes, worsening the current brain injury and inflammation. That can actually become a vicious cycle. Causes of brain inflammation include, but are not limited to, injuries and inflammations. Injuries, head injury, which can be blunt injury, blunt trauma, blunt penetrating trauma to your brain, meaning your skull got cracked and something opened, bleeding and that's a direct injury. Low oxygenation. Low oxygen decreases what is the energy store and oxygenation to the cells within the brain, so the brain cells die. Low blood volume. Anemia, well, they're all bleeding. When people start to bleed, or people have low blood volume, blood carries oxygen, blood also carries nutrients. So the combination of that can actually cause your brain cells to die, which leads to brain injury. Inflammation, concussion. When concussion happens, there's an aspect that the brain cells, the brain tissue actually shakes within the cavity. And that shake is one that actually starts to cause a microinflammation to actually 
major inflammation. So we normally will see individuals with head concussion actually have a change in personality, but that's because when inflammation happens under concussion, the brain tissue swells up, and the brain doesn't like any extra space to be utilized within its cavity. So anything that changes what is that current structure or current volume is a direct inflammation, and that can be dangerous. Viral infection. When viral infection starts in the body, sometimes it spreads to the brain. But there's some viral infection that actually starts in the brain. That's like meningitis, right? And what that does, it crosses the blood-brain barrier, directly affecting what is the functionality of the brain. And that causes severe inflammation and can lead to death. Now, once you recover from infections such as those, your brain is still inflamed. Poor nutrition. Your nutrients are the building blocks for the cells to function. The nutrients are also what turns your gene on and your genes off. So any change in nutrition that impacts what is the optimum nutrition your brain is supposed to get, that leads to inflammation. Low blood volume, we talked about that with anemia. Now with injury, you would have been bleeding and we cannot replace your blood on time. But anemia can be that low-grade, low blood volume, a little bit low iron there, a little bit of blood changes with your menstrual cycle. Well, if you're not eating optimally to replace what is that low blood volume, you are actually exposing your brain to what is cellular damage or a decrease in cellular perfusion or decrease in cellular volume, so which means your brain gets irritable and that is a direct inflammation to your brain. Dehydration. Dehydration, your blood is made of, uh, your brain is made out of like 73% to 78% of fluid out of that brain tissue mass that's all fluid. So any dehydration actually causes the cell to start to die. It also causes friction within the brain cavity, which means it doesn't have the fluidity or the lubrication your brain needs to have so it can expand and contract as it wants to. So dehydration can be very dangerous for the brain and we see that pretty quickly with changing auto changes in your mental status, going from being alert to confused, going from being very focused to distracted and just disoriented. When we see that, usually it's a late sign of dehydration. Hypertension diabetes, these are metabolic changes. If you are having high blood pressure, you are increasing what is the brain pressure um, within your brain. Your brain does not like to have high pressure. High pressure within the brain usually would lead to stroke. So people that does have high blood pressure, eventually if it's untreated, they do have micro stroke or actually major stroke because what happens is the pressure actually increases what is the vessel diameter, it puts such an extreme pressure within those vessels, those vessels starts to pop. Sometimes it's microbleed. Those are ones that can be cut easily sometimes because people make it to the hospital because they're having really bad headaches. But you can have a major bleed and those can be very deadly because the minute fluid or blood gets to leak into your brain cavity, you get to herniate, which means the brain doesn't have any space to go. It herniates down your brain stem. A little bit more scary, but that's what happens as a very last sign or late sign of hypertension that's uncontrolled. Diabetes, that's blood sugar. Your brain is very sensitive to sugar. Your brain needs sugar for cellular um, feed. Your sugar feeds your cells. Not too much sugar. Just a little bit of sugar, but when you give your brain excess sugar, that now stimulates other processes to happen, including nerve damage within your brain or just decreasing what is the communication within your brain. But that also turns different hormones on that actually causes more damage to your whole body. Also with diabetes, what happens is that increasing sugar actually causes the person to become altered. So you are fogged, you are tired, you are fatigued, you are forgetful, you are sluggish. And that's what excessive sugar does to your brain. Organic brain deformation, that just means you are born with a brain structure that has some deformities or changes or structural imbalance. 
Normally we see those in individuals that would have what is like a learning disability, a cognitive disability, and it's a chronic one, it cannot change. So some of the interventions I'm going to teach in this class would naturally apply to a person that has congenital brain disorders because normally they're born with an aspect of a lower IQ due to the significant damage their brain has undergone due to being born with brain disorders. Autoimmune disorders, a lot of people have what becomes uh, overdrive of their immune system where it cannot protect them anymore. Your immune system starts to fight you back. Well, that aspect of changes that happens in your body impacts what is your brain functionality and that puts a lot more inflammation in your brain which turns around and feeds you excessive hormones and excessive changes that impacts your wellness. Brain arterial venous malformation. These are individuals that are born with what is the change in what is your venous structure and your arterial structure that supplies your brain. Instead of it being in the correct order, they are reversed, inverted, or sometimes even altered. Normally, there's a lot of different things that happen with these individuals. They fall, they fall under the organic brain deformation, and usually there's a change in IQ, there's a change in level of consciousness, there's a change in level of perception. So those individuals will have chronic inflammation, so there's a possibility that this course would not really apply to them. The diagnosis of stress and anxiety is based on symptoms. You are often given a diagnosis without being told the root causes and how your mind produces worrying thoughts or rumination. You are not given an explanation as to what caused them. You're just told you express an anxiety, you express a rumination, you put on medication. I want to explain how normal stress becomes anxiety and how it develops in your brain, your mind, your body in the simplest way possible. Understanding the brain and using its terminology can be difficult at times. However, part of life is taking on the challenges to learn new words, new experiences, and try new things. Taking on a new challenge is one of the ways we support our brain resilience and improve our mental wellness. Understand no one system in our body operates on its own. They work in collaboration. Any problem in one's body system affects the other. This is the same concept for anxiety development in our brains, leading to development of depression, mood, and other medical disorders. The development of chronic stress and anxiety affects many structures and part of our brains. I'm going to focus on two main brain structures that are affected. The amygdala is a region in our brain responsible for emotional response, anxiety symptoms, fear, panic, etc. Decision making and memory. The amygdala also supports the regulation of our neurotransmitters. Today I'm going to talk about the two main neurotransmitters that support anxiety or stress, which is GABA and serotonin, and they are responsible for reducing anxiety in our mind and body. We will discuss these neurotransmitters at a later time. The hypothalamus is responsible for keeping the second structure I'm talking about. The first one was amygdala, the second one is the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is responsible for keeping your body in a stable state called homeostasis. Big word. This is to keep your body in a neutral state and a balanced state. Balance is good. It directly influences your autonomic nervous system, automation of, your automation of our body's sympathetic fight or flight response, and parasympathetic rest and relax. L, our hormone management. The hypothalamus regulates our hormones. The hypothalamus control hormones and autonomic regulation, homeostasis balance. Due to inflammation of the brain, this process becomes dysregulated, unable to balance the hormone properly. And not just one hormones, all the hormones. The hypothalamus cannot control cortisol, which is one of the hormones that gets over-secreted. Combined with the, the non-functioning amygdala, it adds gasoline to your brain, fire. In other words, 
the amygdala being dysfunctional and your hypothalamus being dysfunctional, you now have a combination of a brain that is pretty much very inflamed, especially if you continue to experience high exposure to stress and re-exposure to environmental, emotional, and physical stress um, and triggers. Remember, the amygdala is also not working when it's inflamed and dysregulated, it's not working, so it cannot regulate itself. And if you remember earlier, the amygdala is responsible for emotional regulation, memory, panic and fear, and also responsible for neurotransmitters, common neurotransmitters, those GABA and serotonin we talk about. This creates an overactivation of the hypothalamus in your brain, also leading to cortisol release in excess. So if the amygdala is not working, every time you are exposed to a trigger, you now produce this, or you now have the amygdala tries to produce more cortisol to try to protect you, but that's not what you need. It's actually causing more inflammation. The excess of cortisol release actually changes so many structures within your brain, leading to an overactivation of flight and fight response. The autonomic system changes as small to large, but increasing internal pressure. In other words, so just to kind of give you an, an example, if you were coming across a bear, what happens is your hypothalamus releases cortisol and sends you into a fight-flight mode. Most people, you're running, so you're flighting. You're not standing to fight because that's a bear. So if you have a healthy brain that's not inflamed, what happens is you now can run, and once you get to a place that's safe, you can turn that response off. Your body says you're safe. We are going to give you a few minutes, a few hours now. You can relax. Your parasympathetic system kicks in. However, under an inflamed brain, the hypothalamus is inflamed, which means it does not turn off that response. So the, autonom the autonomic nervous system changes from a small aspect of releasing these hormones to a larger systemic increase, and that changes your internal pressure, narrowing and closing the body's vessels and causing what's called vasoconstriction. Part of your cortisol being released, it drives different systems into an overdrive. It elevates pressure within your body. Vasoconstriction is an elevation in pressure. But when the elevation in pressure happens, it shrinks what is the vessel supplying your body. And when it shrinks the vessels that supply in your body, it actually decreases oxygenation and blood flow to different parts of your body. All organs are affected. The individual is now going to be experiencing a prolonged, not just a very acute and acute response, but a longer exposure of increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, changes in your respiration, ineffective breathing. That's you breathing shallow, but you're not taking in a deep breath. That's you breathing fast, but you're not taking a deep breath. So your body is not being oxygenated. Abnormal glucose. Cortisol is raining on your body and raining on your brain. And cortisol byproduct is actually elevation in glucose because it stops your body from breaking down glucose correctly. It also changes what is your cholesterol metabolism. What would have been a breakdown of your cholesterol under normal circumstances? The changes in that fight-flight response raining on you 24-7 alters your cholesterol breakdown, which leads to plaques being built up within your bodies. And we normally see those plaques being built up within your cardiovascular system, the vessels that supplies your blood. So imagine the condition now. Your body is constantly releasing cortisol. You are constantly in fight and flight. Your vessels are smaller and they have shrunk in size and they're stiff inside because vasoconstriction causes that. It's stiff, it's smaller in size, and it does not allow flexibility. But now you have cholesterol plaques that are building up and they're building up in these vessels. What that leads to is cardiovascular damages, decreased blood flow. Stress and anxiety with poor stress tolerance, it worsens the brain's fight and flight system. 
causing further injury to your amygdala, hypothalamus, and your brain in general. It's a vicious cycle because it's inflamed. Your emotional response is dysregulated or unstable. So that feeds, it's a feedback system. It's a constant feedback system. But what it does now, it puts more burden on the brain and the the body. And it sends these structures to be in overdrive in excess because it does not know what to do. Changes, the changes in the amygdala causes you to experience symptoms of increased fear activation. You are pretty much walking around and the minute something happens, you are very startling, you're very shaky, you're very panic. Your brain recollects the fear and it feeds it to you. These are the people who normally would sit at home and without even any triggers, your brain feeds you the image. Or you are watching TV and for some reason something goes across the screen and now you have a brain recollection of a fear. But now the fear becomes heightened and some people develop what is an OCD symptoms where it becomes catastrophic thinking, the worst that can happen. But now the worst that can happen gets stuck. You are feeding your brain the same images of what can happen. And we normally see those with people who starts to develop fear of actually leaving their homes. And they will actually say, well, if I step outside the house, ABC is going to happen. And you can almost step back and say, well, that's not going to happen. But in their brain, it's stuck. It's happening. They are living that experience. And what happens with these individuals? They start to plan and over plan for the worst case scenario and putting in plans to help them cope. But all of that is your brain now just feeding you excess false fear. And the fears initially would have been one that was there, but your brain magnified to the point that it becomes unrealistic. Over-preparedness for danger, loop thinking, overthinking, rumination, OCD. These would be the individuals that would check the stove 50 times, but that's because they would have turned it off, but their brain says, oh, you didn't turn it off. You better go back and check it. And they're checking, they're checking, they're checking, and people usually say, oh, my goodness, they check so many times. Well, they're not just doing it because they want to. The inflammation in their brain is now having that process stuck, so they are in loop process. And even when they've done it, Cortisol puts so much fog on their brain that they almost get to forget that they checked it or second guess themselves that they checked it. So now they're in excess checking. That develops a new network communication pathway, and that's what feeds their OCD to become even stronger. Worsening memories around fear, to name a few. Because the amygdala, the amygdala is malfunctioning, the brain experiences a decrease in proper production and usage of your neurotransmitters such as GABA and serotonin, which are very beneficial for your well-being. Now, part of just normal health, if you're eating correctly, you're sleeping correctly, you're exercising correctly, your body and your brain is producing GABA and serotonin for you to be able to feel calmer. But if your brain is inflamed, there's two structures that do get affected, is the amygdala and your hypothalamus. What that also does with the Amygdala, remember, it puts a change on how your body can use GABA and serotonin. So you're not having those feel-good chemicals coming out to save you. They are actually being unable to be produced correctly or used correctly. So you are literally left with a brain that's just feeling all these fears and anxiety and panic, and your body is still driving you into an overdrive of thinking the world is about to end. Let's talk about some of the symptoms that affects you due to brain inflammation that do get to present as anxiety. When we see clients, the symptoms of anxiety is just what is a systemic change in brain injury or brain inflammation. So when we have to chase symptoms, we are truly not caring for what is the main problem, which is a brain that's inflamed. So. If you are a person who have anxiety and your brain is already inflamed, well, your brain becomes inflamed, you do have an anxiety response. But now instead of the response going back and allowing you to reset, it just feeds you even more excess anxiety symptoms. So normally what we get to see is headache, dizziness, blurry vision, passing out, rumination. That's the where you get that one thought that comes in. You start to process it, a second thought comes in, and you're just going over those few thoughts back and back and back, ringing in your ears. 
fullness in your head. Your head feels pressured, pressure behind your eyes. You pretty much um, you see stars that are actually flashing in front of your eyes. Some people get temporal uh, migraines where you lose a vision in one eye temporarily. It comes back. And most people would have gone seeing a neurologist who kind of literally tries to support them by putting them on some blood pressure medication. But that's part of anxiety symptoms due to brain inflammation, due to cortisol putting stress or vasoconstrictions in your brain vessels. Pins and needles, nerve pain that's shooting down your feet. When we talk about respiratory, respiratory and the heart, you tend to see people for heart they get heart pain or chest pain, they get palpitations, they get chest pressure, they almost feel like they cannot take in a deep breath, their heart rate is irregular. This is where we see people with arrhythmias and the doctors would do all the tests and the structures look normal and now you're getting procedures done to kind of silence those pathways. Those are all symptoms related to vasoconstrictions that do happen under high stress. Apneic. Most people forget to breathe when they're stressed, you can almost find them holding your teeth down together, grinding your teeth together. Sometimes they are taking the breath, but the breath is not deep enough and it's shallow. Well, a shallow breath means you're not oxygenating correctly, which means your brain actually have an increase in pH that's acid in nature. That acid in nature worsens the vasoconstriction, which narrows your vessels, narrows the veins, decrease oxygenation so you're stuck in a very bad cycle and most of the time it's very cellular in nature very micro in nature but over time what we get to see people developing chronic heart problems chronic blood pressure chronic chest pain but also the vasoconstriction it causes your heart muscles to beat heavy and if your heart is working harder it makes the heart muscle have to build itself. In other words, you are demanding so much from your heart, the heart has to compensate, and when it compensates, it actually makes the muscle thicker. So we tend to see damage that happens with that. You get chest tightness, you get wheezing, you get shortness of breath. These are all symptoms of vasoconstrictions that are related to an increase in cortisol in your brain due to inflammation. Stomach, we see decrease in stomach um, mortality. What would have been your body eating the food, digesting the food? Now we're seeing your body being unable to process the food. So you have nausea, vomiting, acid reflux, constipation. On the opposite end, you may actually end up with irritable bowel syndrome, which is like diarrhea here, constipation here. And if that does happen, you are unable to tolerate food. So we see a lot of leaky gut syndromes. And just to give you a little bit of idea, the vasoconstriction that happens in your brain and the vasoconstriction that happens in your heart and your lungs is actually the same vasoconstriction that happens in your stomach. During emergency, which is that fight and flight response, your body steals all the oxygen and blood, but not all. It steals the majority of the oxygen and blood and sends them to your heart, your lungs, your brain. So your stomach, your bladder, your skin is left to serve or function for itself temporarily. Because what the brain usually say is, if I can support the major organs, I can always come back and perfuse you or give you nutrients and oxygen later. But that aspect of chronic stress that leads to you being chronically in fight and fight, fight and flight response steals vital oxygenation from your stomach, which causes your body to develop inflammation. Because when oxygen and blood is not being supplied to any organ, it causes what is those barrier that protects chemicals or even um, inflammation from coming into those um, organs from actually doing their job. So the barrier becomes weakened. When the barrier becomes weakened, you are now prone to eating foods that would not sit in the, the stomach cavity. They actually sips out, tiny molecules sips out of your stomach cavities. So people that get bloated, food intolerance, that just means what would have been the barrier protecting your gut from having food sipping out, 
microchemicals of food sipping out now they're actually sipping out and the inflammation that they're causing is what you get to see as leaky gut now chronic exposure to that causes you to actually develop um, increase in what becomes food sensitivity even food allergies so it is a major process this is just me breaking it down in a very simple way to make you to understand the impact of what happens in your brain and how it impacts all the organs in your body that same decrease in circulation because your body is actually feeding more oxygen and nutrients and blood to your heart your brain and your um, lungs is going to impact your kidneys and impact your your urogenital system so kidneys your kidneys can go into overdrive and we see that as a decrease in blood circulation to your kidneys which causes kidney injuries for females or males you get frequent urination the need for you to go use the bathroom often the visit constriction shrinks your bladder size so your bladder would not hold on to the excess um, fluid it's used to or urine it's used to because it's smaller um, usually with kids they experience this by actually urinating on themselves we also see decrease in libido well because the decrease in blood flow to your genital system steals what is that circulation and what is that nerve need for oxygenation and blood so you have decreased libido decreased orgasm for males they will have what is an, a change in the testosterone, a decreased testosterone, a dysregulation in what is their erection also. So instead of them having a healthy erection, the blood flow has been stolen from their penis and it's actually sent to the brain or the lungs. So you have a flaccid penis. So over time with stress, they are now being put on things like Viagra or Rovadio different type of medication to increase blood flow to their organs, their sexual organs. We see it a lot also with performance anxiety where the person all of a sudden is unable to get an erection during performance time or during sex, yet once the stress of not being in performance goes away, their erection is back to normal and a lot of people are very confused about that as to why would I lose my erection when I want to have sex but then once I'm no longer in that situation my erection comes back. Well, you were very anxious during your sex interaction, sexual interaction so blood got stolen from your penis and got sent to your brain and your heart and once you can learn how to regulate what is that stress and anxiety, your penis goes back to functionality. We do see early ejaculation. These are the individuals that during sex, they're so anxious that they're worried about how they're performing that they will actually have, just like the um, urination situation, they will have a premature ejaculation and orgasm pretty early. And for males, that can be very embarrassing. But part of regulating that is going back to regulating their brain health and reducing their stress and anxiety prior to actually having sex. So, increase in cortisol in the brain and body causes these symptoms. So we already talked about the graphics, but you're talking about increasing mental fog, panic, shaking, breathing shallow, fast, not breathing at all, building acid in your whole body. Even though you're building the acid that impacts your brain even quicker, your blood actually becomes toxic because your blood becomes acidic. So what is that oxygen carrying content actually gets reduced because when it's acidic, it doesn't carry enough oxygen. Bad glucose metabolism. So chronic extra chronic exposure to stress and cortisol release, you become diabetic, you become hypertensive, you develop cholesterol, you become with somebody who has chronic headaches and migraine. Your cholesterol doesn't get to be broken down, so now you actually gain increase in body fats. Now, as a female or even males, if you are somebody who's draining excess cortisol in your body, if you do have an offspring, you would have altered what is your gene expression to the point that you will have an offspring that is now prone to developing what may be obesity because you have changed what is that genetic expression and you are now giving your offspring your genetic expression 
by actually having a gene that's more favorable to being turned on to become more increased in fat, holding on to fat. So the, in, the impact of cortisol on your brain doesn't just impact you, it impacts what is generation that you get to produce from you after being exposed to it. Um, we talk about this increase in vessel plaques. Remember those cholesterol don't break down. So plaques get to build in your legs. That can be very dangerous, can be built in your lungs. If those built in your lungs, tissue in the break off, that's an emboli, you pretty much needs to be in the emergency room or you die. If it goes to your heart, it's sometimes immediate death. If it's in the venous system, the vein system, you're not dying. You'll be with a lot of chest pain and shortness of breath and a lot of pain. But if that plaque from the cholesterol breaks down and it enters your arterial system, it's immediate death because it shoots up to your brain. So it's one that can be very dangerous. So impact of cholesterol, uh, cholesterol, cortisol and brain inflammation is one that we don't talk about a lot but it is the beginning of a lot of different medical disorders that we do see. The activation of cortisol leads your body to start having multiple system injuries and damage and actually the development of different disease processes. Your brain nervous system, your nerves becomes overactivated with the constant release of cortisol flooding your, uh, your brain and body. The over-secretion of cortisol keeps your sympathetic, which is your fight and flight response, and nervous system on high alert for danger. Life and death situation, alarms everywhere for potential risk. Even though the risk may not be coming, your brain is gonna feed that to you and make it your reality. However, even though you may not be in danger, the cortisol will continue to flood your brain and body with its release, and that's gonna change what is your perception of reality. So we may actually see people who may have so much high anxiety from stress that they actually become psychotic. They see things, they hear things, and we see that a lot in pediatrics. When pediatrics kids get severely stressed and they become overly anxious and they now are excessively producing cortisol that's raining in their brain, they present with psychotic features. They're seeing things, they're hearing things, and it doesn't sound right. And normally we have to silence the brain, so it can become dangerous when it's not treated. The inflammation of your brain prevents cortisol from shutting down. That pathway becomes open, and if you do not do interventions, it stays open. It leads to brain damage. And I say brain damage because the longer you are in that cycle, it becomes chronic. The chronicity of it damages the brain. So your brain becomes more um, prone to rewiring, network reconnections, but not in a good way. It also causes a decrease in your immune system. Cortisol is meant to come out and support your body and your immune system when you are truly in danger. But the excessive release of cortisol under high stress in your system makes your immune system weakens. So you're prone to those colds and coughs and infections and viruses that are just hanging around the place. While the normal person can say, oh my goodness, I went to this place and everybody was sick. And I just walked out of there like nothing happened. And you get to be like, well, you have good immune system. No. It's because their body somehow is being maintained without an excessive cortisol release. So excessive cortisol re release actually dampens what is your immune protection. We talked about it builds cholesterol and built bad fats. These are the individuals when they were younger, they were skinny and healthy and just your body just breaks down every fat, uh, every food you eat, but all of a sudden your body's holding on to excess fat. Go back and assess what is your stress factors. And as we go through the program, you're going to learn about the things that you can do to reduce what is that inflammation in your brain. And you should notice an improvement in what is your metabolism. We talked about high blood pressure and stroke, abnormal heart rate. And that's the thing with um, the fight and flight response. The initial response is abnormal heart rate. The heart rate gets high. However, with chronic exposure, the heart rate stays high. And most people do not know their baseline. So for an example, 
a person who is very fit and athletic, their heart rate is normally in the 50s and 60s and 70s. If all of a sudden they're no longer exercising and no longer active, and they're under high stress and cortisol is always releasing, their baseline went from being 50s and 60s and 70s to 90s. That's a demand on your heart because you just actually double what is your normal heart rate by 30 points. That's not your baseline. And if, God forbid, you cannot touch to like 100, 101, 102, that's an increased demand. The longer you are in that, your cardiac structure is remodeled to support the demand of how hard it needs to beat to supply your brain, your lungs, your heart, your kidneys, and all organs. So knowing your baseline while you are young is very vital. You always want to know what is your healthy baseline for blood pressure and heart rate because under stress, those numbers increases, and the longer they are increased, the more damage is the cause to those structures. And one of the things we do see is cardiovascular death. Sometimes the heart rate increases to the point A all of a sudden just drops. And the reason it's dropping is because the heart can no longer sustain itself. And some of the bad side effects of excessive cortisol release is it actually decreases what is your, um, your heart functionality from actually beating correctly so the end product becomes a heart rate that cannot sustain anymore. The same thing for respiratory. While you would have been breathing nice and normal to ventilate or oxygenate your organs and your brain and your heart, it becomes shallow. And when it becomes shallow, it's not deep enough, So, which means you're not giving proper oxygenation to feed your brain and your cells. That leads to an acidic condition within your whole body, including your blood. That causes more problems with your breathing, and that causes more problems within your body. So we tend to see people with chronic stress actually have asthma or have lung problems or a cold that never goes away. Excess cortisol changes literally in how your body is going to break down um, sugars leading to diabetes. And if you have diabetes, you are going to end up with kidney injury. We talked about breathing. Also, cortisol release is going to impact your sleep. When cortisol gets released, it changes what is the other hormones functionality. And one of the hormones that impacts is your melatonin. So your sleep and your quality of sleep is going to be disrupted. But that's not all. Because fight and flight means you are running for your life. Your body's restless. Your mind is activated. So you're not sleeping. It changes your gut absorption and digestion. We talked about that. Where we talked about it changes all your hormone systems. So the reason I developed this class is because I was so used to seeing clients being trialed on 20 different meds, including pediatric clients. They get trialed on meds and meds and meds, and nothing is working, and they add more meds and take away more meds. Sometimes they're on two, three, four, five meds, and they're not doing well. And the question gets to be, why are we focusing on the later sign of a bigger problem in our mind and body? We are focusing on symptoms of stress and anxiety, but we're not focusing on the fact that at a cellular level, we are causing more inflammation that is actually killing us slowly. So part of Mindful Brain class is by bringing awareness to making you understand you can reduce brain inflammation by using mindful practices. The reduction of inflammation becomes comes down to fixing the previously listed inflammations as best as possible. It requires consistency, mindfulness, and an intent action to establish commitment and a goal towards wanting to maintain this kind of wellness for a lifetime. If you were wanting to, somebody made an example, and it's a wonderful example. If you want abs, you're not just going to do abs one day a week and get abs. If you want to build muscle, you're not just going to run or lift one day a week and get muscles. You have to train the muscles to remodel them, to get them to actually become used to the exercise, and then you increase their um, level of exercise, and that's how you train your mind and your body. The same thing for wellness. Anytime, or another example would be diabetes. A patient that has type 2 diabetes, when the doctor says, exercise, lose weight, eat healthy, 
that diagnosis of diabetes disappear because now they have actually cured themselves of diabetes. But the minute they revert on not eating healthy, exercising, and losing weight, that diabetes is back full-fledged. The same thing for brain health. You can maintain your brain health for a lifetime if you maintain mindful practices that are very intentful and very consistent. Outside of that, it reverts back because anything that's not used actually goes back to its original state. And that's the same thing we see with aspect of treating anxiety or treating stress. The intervention gets started, the medication gets started, but if the intervention is not working and the medication is in your system, it goes back to you struggling with just what becomes severe stress, worsening mental health. The goal for healing is maintaining the brain, the brain inflammation or reversing the brain inflammation. There's few conditions that will allow you to reverse it. Now, based on the chronicity of your inflammation, it may just be maintaining it, but that's better than not maintaining it. And that's you working to reverse the damages or stabilizing the current brain inflammation. That's the key to reducing brain inflammation, burden, um, and supporting your brain health. The aspect of brain injury and inflammation, if the, if the brain inflammation has already happened or newly acquired, stability and management are going to be what's required. If you have not had any exposure, for somebody who's watching this training and you do have younger kids, a lot of them have not experienced brain injury yet. So we're talking about kids that have not fallen down and uh, bumped their head really hard, not playing football where they kind of literally got a little bit of concussion at a younger age. They do have what is a healthy brain. So by you doing some of these mindful techniques, you can actually strengthen what is their brain resilience from actually becoming inflamed. However, if the inflammation has already happened, all you can do is practice the mindful practices we're going to talk about to keep stability and maintenance so your health and your brain health does not decompensate, gets worse. The brain health is going to decompensate further if you do not practice these mindful practices. And what that does is actually cause other healthcare issues and worsening mental health. So one of the ways to improve your brain functionality and decrease inflammation is improving brain oxygenation. That's the basic primary intervention. Brain oxygenation supplies your brain with the nutrients it needs to survive. Your cells need oxygen to survive. Your cells need oxygen to make energy. The minute your cells are deprived of oxygen, within five minutes of true oxygenation, the cells start to die. Most people do naturally get to deprive their brain of full oxygenation, but the micro decrease actually still causes more injury because it prevents the cell from being optimum in the way they are supposed to be. Nutrients, your brain functions on proper nutrients. Starts to learn about the foods that give you dense quality nutrients. Those are the building blocks of your brain and without them, your brain does not have the proper food it needs. And it doesn't get to turn on and off genes the way it needs to, so that can worsen inflammation. So by you starting to implement healthy nutrition and improving what is nutrition for mind and body health, you get to really truly see the improvement in your overall, overall health. Hydration. A lot of the times I see clients that says, I do not like to drink water. I just do not like the taste of water. Your brain is made out of 73 to 78% of water. Your body is made out of 73 to 78% water. Any change in hydration status actually truly impacts your cellular turnover, your cellular flexibility, your oxygenation carrying capacity, how good your body carries oxygen, and blood and nutrients to your cells and your brain. So hydration is very vital. Drink about uh, 0.5 kilograms per your body weight and that should be something that you should be able to do as a healthy individual. Hydration can be different for people who have different medical problems like kidney problems but if you're not a person with kidney problems hydration should be something that you should be on top of and that is a very key element to your brain health. Reducing the impact of cortisol, neurocortisol in your brain. 
the way you reduce the impact is you actually decreasing your stress load and your stress burden. So we're talking about mindful practices like breathing, exercising, decreasing your exposure to toxins, knowing how your energy changes so you can now step away from things that may be stressors and triggers. Because anything that increases your stress factors and decreases what is the blood oxygenation and hydration or nutrients is going to increase cortisol production in your brain, reducing brain pressure. So one of the things that you can do to reduce pressure within your body and your brain is breathing. The other thing also gets to be exercise. The higher the pressure is in your body, the higher the pressure is in your brain. And that causes cortisol to re-increase its secretion in your brain. Improved brain circulation. Number one way of increasing your brain circulation is oxygenation and drinking lots of water. Those are the two things that increase the circulation within your brain and it decreases inflammation. Practice mindful practices and what that does Mindful practices is meditation, affirmation, exercising um, correctly, breathing correctly. It increases what's called your brain-derived nootropic factor. Allows your brain to create new cells. There used to be an old saying that says you're born with the brain cells that you have and you die with those brain cells that you have. False. You can create new brain cells still as long as you are alive. You can recreate them. You can develop new networks. You can learn new language. You can actually do impossible things with your brain that most people would think it's impossible. But that's part of you using what is your natural body healing mechanism by just giving it oxygenation, breathing, nutrition, hydration. Create a favorable environment for your brain to allow neurogenesis and creation of new neurons and brain cells um, for longevity and sustainability of brain health. This is you actually also implementing sleep. For your brain to be healthy, it needs a good amount of sleep. And a favorable environment means you're not going to expose your brain to smoke. You're not going to um, expose your brain to things like asbestos or mold. You're not going to expose your brain to those inflammation factors we talked about. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to impact whether your brain has a favorable environment to continue to develop new healthy cells as the old cells turned over. Decrease brain inflammation by decreasing potential viral infection, um, bacteria, or infective process in your brain and body. You question how this is possible? It's very much possible. If you are looking to decrease what is your potential to acquire bacteria and virus, work on eating foods that build immunity. Body's immunity is brain immunity. Improve your brain and mind, um, body resilience through incorporating practices that improve mind and body tolerance to infections or how your body can combat infections quicker. And some of the foods that you can actually impl um, implement to help an anti-inflammation. In other words, you're supporting your body produce more fighting cells to keep you more um, immune resistance or immune tolerance. We're talking about foods that are seafoods that are high in vitamin D, like salmon. Not everybody's going to be able to afford wild Alaskan salmon, but you can eat oysters, you can eat mackerel, you can eat herring, you can eat sardines, kelp. You can also use extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil. Those are oils that are going to give you some good cholesterols and omegas. Those protect your brain uh, myelin sheets or your brain networks and communication pathways and keep them healthy. Cauliflower's vegetables, vegetables that are green, your broccoli, your spinach, your okra, any green vegetables that you eat is going to give you good B vitamins and B vitamins are one of the cofactors, many of the cofactors within your brain. Blueberries, strawberries, berries in general are going to give you antioxidants. And antioxidants just really allows your brain to be more luminous. Turmeric, which is a herb or spice, has lots of brain inflammation properties. Another one is canya pepper, hot peppers. 
Many of the hot pepper species actually give you inflammation and brain inflammation or anti-inflammation properties. They give your body what is the nutrients to fight off infections. Ginger, things that are spicy will give you that anti-inflammation properties. Green tea, antioxidant. And green tea also has L-theanine, which is going to support your GABA response to make you feel calmer. Sweet potatoes, nutrients, and obviously vitamin A to give you good brain and good eyesight. Mindful nutrition supports good brain health. So foods that are high in vitamin D, we talked about seafood, mushrooms, egg yolk. These are going to improve your immune system, improve your brain health. Help your brain use cholesterol and healthy fats. Um, also coats your myelins. Improve your blood-brain barrier. That's the barrier that actually keeps bacteria and infections out of your brain. Improves your health and the communications and reduces cortisol. It's foods that provides you with a healthy dose of iron and vitamin B. Iron is what's going to make your body produce red blood cells. Red blood cells is what carries red Red blood cells, blood cells is what's in your blood that carries oxygenation, nutrients, and volume. A lack of that actually causes cellular death. Vitamin B um, gives you nutrients that supports your brain, turns genes on and off, and they're responsible for thousands of chemical reactions within your body. We already talked about iron. Low iron leads to decreased oxygenation. Blood with high cellular turnover. Death in severe case, and usually we see that with people who have severe anemia, they actually will have so many different multi-organ system failure. And people who obviously bleed, if we're not able to replace blood, they die pretty quick. You can increase your iron by cooking in a cast iron skillet. Iron-rich food, okra, spinach, beets, organ meats, so we're talking about livers and chicken gizzards, um, anything that's an organ, meat it's going to give you high and if you're vegetarian then spinach and okra okra have a higher content of iron spinach is next and beets gives you some and there's more other foods that gives you iron rich foods eating foods in vitamin b comes from you eating things that are rainbow a lot of the times people focus on just green no eat rainbows because your b vitamins are hiding in all the fruits and veggies that do look colorful so just add as much colors as possible keep the greens high but add the other colors also spices that are high in antioxidants we're talking about turmeric cayenne peppers cumin um, cinnamons all of these spices actually has wonderful brain properties to it supplementation choline is a b vitamin zinc you need zinc for anti-inflammation properties but you also need zinc for memory magnesium part of cortisol release is vasoconstriction it makes the vessels thicker um, inflexible the vessels narrower decreased oxygenation supplies but magnesium is what we call vasodilator. It opens the vessels up. So you have increase in oxygenation, you have increase in blood flow, but you also now have relaxation because blood can flow easily and your brain is not in inflamed state. So magnesium is a wonderful anti-stress um, supplementation to use. We talked about vitamin B. People who have low cholesterol, and we see that a lot in people who may be anorexic, they can actually activate worsening anxiety and depression. So replacing their cholesterol is very healthy. And sometimes they are unable to truly tolerate just cooking with oils and vegetables, uh, like coconut oil, olive oil. So giving them cholesterol capsules can support their brain. And the reason for that is your brain cells are actually lined with cholesterol. So when you decrease your cholesterol so, so significantly, you can send yourself into dementia and just aspect of cognitive dysfunction. Vitamin D supplements. Vitamin D is an endocrine hormone that stimulates what is going to be all those hormones released. So if your vitamin D is not optimum, and the normal we like to give vitamin D is between 40 to between 60 to 90, Anything that's below that, it's not optimum. We have studies that shows a decrease in vitamin D actually has more chances of having 
worsening depression and suicide ideation, but decreasing vitamin D means your thyroid is not going to work. A decreasing vitamin D means your testosterone is not going to work. Decreasing vitamin D means all your other hormones are not going to work. CoQ enzyme, CoQ10 enzyme, brain health, ginkgo globa, we use that a lot for increasing memory. Lithium aritate, this is one that we use low dose lithium and that is wonderful for people that are experiencing just an aspect of high stress induced um, brain changes with forgetfulness, memory relapse. Um, lithium aritate tends to kind of give them that cognitive support. It also allows your brain to build new cells. So it's a wonderful element to have when it comes to brain health. If you are struggling with other measures that are not working, a low dose lithium aritate can kind of really help. When we're talking low dose, the dose is usually between one milligram to five milligrams. Clinical dose of lithium goes 450 and up. 150 to like 450 and up and 1200 and up. We're talking tiny microdose, one milligrams to five milligrams a day is nothing at all. With that being said, thank you for listening to Mindful Brain. I hope you enjoyed this lecture and thank you again.